0: When I am preparing for a sermon, one of the questions that is going through my head, particularly when there's a passage that we are working through together as a church, is something like this one. What's the point? What's the point? Because as we know, the Word of God was not written primarily to give you information. It was not written primarily to simply give you some good reading material. It was written for an intended purpose. The purpose the Bible was written for was to persuade you. The Bible has a point. The author of the Bible, the Holy Spirit, who moved these men to write down the truths of God, the reveal the person of God, the author had a point. He Was drawing you to see and to believe and so we as we come to a passage we should often be asking ourselves the same question what is the point here what is the main thing that the Holy Spirit is trying to communicate to me from this passage and I must confess that as I came to this passage it was a little bit of a struggle Not because there were no points to make about one of the most tender, touching stories in all of our Bible, but because there were too many. If you were to read these 23 verses that Kevin read for us this morning, and you were to try to fully exhaust all the points, all the truths, all the realities from that, I could spend easily a month of sermons on this passage and not get all the way to the bottom. And so as I was wrestling with this passage this week, what is the main point? What is the fundamental lesson? What is the basic? I finally saw, I think, a thread that runs through this somewhat extended story. Really, this is a story in three parts. It's like a play in three acts. The first act of the story is when this synagogue official, this important person in the community comes at Jesus' feet and falls down and is utterly desperate because his daughter is at the point of death. The second act of the story is what happens when Jesus is delayed in going to heal the daughter. And now men come to this, this father and tell him, don't worry anymore, your, your daughter's dead, don't bug Jesus anymore. And their interaction there. And the third act of this story is when Jesus is now coming to the synagogue official's house, out ultimately leading to her complete healing. What is the thread? What is the thread that is going Across these three acts. Thank you. I want to suggest a title for our message that I hope will become more clear as we work our way and reach the end of our sermon this morning. The title is This Christ's Care for Man's Faith. Christ's Care for Man's Faith. We hear the words of Jesus, perhaps for ourselves this morning do not be afraid. Only believe. Only believe. And I want to look at each of those three acts just as an introductory manner this morning and then get back to this thread that I see working its way through the entire story that I hope will be very comforting and encouraging and perhaps challenging for us as well. Let's start, first of all, by looking at this man's condition, the condition that drove this man to Jesus. Will you look with me at Mark 5 and verse 21 together? Mark chapter 5 and verse number 21. And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him. This was perhaps in Capernaum or around Capernaum, and he was nigh or near unto the sea. And behold... Mark is saying, listen up. Behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet And besought him, he pleaded with him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her that she may be healed, and she shall live. Now, notice something very unique just about this first opening scene, this opening act. What is the man's condition? The word that comes to mind for me is desperate. Desperate. Now, there's something unique about this. Who has Jesus typically been dealing with and ministering to in his earthly ministry to this point? Think back to what we've been going all the way through the book of Mark together. Has Jesus primarily been talking to people who are on the inside of society, on the inside with privileged positions, or has he primarily been ministering to those who are outside social respectability? On the outside, the great story of the gospel so far is that Jesus, the king of God's kingdom, comes to earth not to minister to the people who are privileged, not to minister to the people who are on the inside and are proud of it. Over and over, Jesus is going to the people who are on the outside, on the fringes of society, and bringing them into the inside. Do you remember just the last story we read just before in verses 1 through 20? There was a demoniac, a man who had a legion of demons inside him, was completely isolated from society. And where does Jesus come to bring him? Into the inside of God's family. We see Jesus touching lepers we see Jesus even just last week to this woman who had a, 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 a flow of blood for 12 years that made her ceremonially unclean she could not worship with the people of God she was cut off from human relationship and Jesus brings her back into the midst of God's family We see over and over Jesus is going to minister to sinners, outward, outer sinners, those who are utterly separated even from society. And on the contrast, those who are on the inside, the Pharisees, the respectable ones, They are the ones who are pushed to the outside because they will not accept the message of Jesus in humility. They will not repent. They see nothing to repent of. So you see this very interesting transformation. Those on the outside are brought in. Those on the inside are pushed out. And, friend, what an encouragement to us today. How often do you feel sometimes like you're on the outside, maybe because of your sin, Maybe because of your position in society. Maybe because of your economic status. Maybe because your views on whatever issues. And Jesus is coming for those who are on the outside. And when they humble themselves before him and repent, he brings them to the inside. But notice this man. He is a synagogue official. That meant, as we looked at last week, just very briefly, he was kind of like an elder of their local church, kind of also like a deacon. Maybe we would put it in our perspective. He was a ruler. He was in charge. He was the one who might help organize the service, might help um, uh, uh, make sure everything was being done smoothly, taking care, perhaps, of the building or other things. He wasn't a Pharisee. He wasn't directly a Pharisee, but he would have interacted all the time with the Pharisees. And so this is very unique. A man who's on the inside coming to Jesus and falling down before him and coming right at his feet and pleading with him. What was the cause of this? It was because he was, as I said, he was desperate. His little girl was 12 years old. We learn in another gospel passage this was his only daughter. And those of you who have been a father and have known what it is to have a daddy's girl, a daddy's girl, you can imagine, just put yourself in his position, everything, everything seemed hopeless. And he had heard undoubtedly about the power of Jesus to heal, and now he sees Jesus as his only hope. Listen to what he says. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her that she may be healed, and she shall live. This is faith. Now notice, it's not perfect faith. Do you remember what the custodian, there was a, not the custodian, a Roman centurion said to Jesus at one point in the Gospels? He said, you don't even need to come. Just speak a word and she'll be healed. And Jesus marveled. He says, I, I have not seen such great faith. He didn't have the biggest faith, Jairus. He, he said, Jesus, come and lay your hands on her and then she'll be healed. But he had faith. She'll live. He believed. He was desperate, he was humble, and he was willing to submit himself at the feet of Jesus. This was his condition, desperate but trusting. But then notice, let's shift to the second scene. And I'm gonna call this second scene crisis. His condition, desperate but trusting. His crisis, what happened next? Well, again, put yourself in his position. You're saying, Jesus, you need to be there. You need to come and you need to lay your hands on her. And what does Jesus do? Jesus went with him. Yes! Can you imagine his faith just being stirred? Jesus is coming. There's hope. And then Jesus stops. And he turns around like we saw last week. And he looks at those around him and he says, Who touched me? Who touched my clothes? And now put yourself in Jairus's position. Jesus, we don't have time for this. Didn't you hear? My daughter is at the point of death. And his disciples are saying to Jesus, Jesus, everyone's thronging me. What do you mean, who touched you? We looked at this last week. And Jesus keeps on looking, and he's stopping. And then... He knows that someone's been healed. And then as he continues looking, a woman comes forward and falls down at his feet and tells him all the truth. Now, friends, you've been to a straight gate testimony time on an evening service. You know that testimony sometimes... <clears throat> ben is sitting up here for testimony time, whoever's... <clears throat> uh, can we wrap this one up? Can you, can you imagine? She told him all the truth. That meant going back 12 years. That meant telling him about everything she'd spent in front of the physicians. I saw Dr. So-and-so, and then I saw Dr. So-and-so, and I saw Dr. So-and-so, and here's my bank account now, and here's everything that I've gone through with my family, and here's how I've been excluded from the local community, and now here when you touch me, and she's going on and on in this story, telling him everything, and what is Jairus doing Friends, I get impatient when I sit at a right at a at a at a right turn lane on red and the driver doesn't turn fast enough. It's like, "Come on, guys, you know you can turn right on red, right?" I mean, can you imagine? I can't even imagine what I would have been. Now think about what you would have been saying in his position. Jesus, I get it. This woman is at a bad condition for 12 years, but it's already been 12 years, Jesus. Do you think it can wait another 12 minutes? My daughter is at the point of death. Didn't you hear me? And Jesus ministers to her. And she tells him all the truth. And he tells her that her faith has made her better. And just then, messengers come up. And what do they say to him? Let's look. Let's look at verse, we have to skip ahead now to verse number 35. While he yet spake, right then, There came from the ruler of the synagogues how certain which said, thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? Would you have been mad? Would you have been irritated? Jesus, you could have healed her. Why didn't you come more quickly? Jesus, you didn't come fast enough. Friend, this is a crisis of faith, and it's not just a crisis that could have afflicted Jairus. How many times do we see it elsewhere in the scripture? Do you remember the story of Lazarus? Do you remember Mary? Do you remember Martha? Martha, the one who trusted Jesus, who believed in him? Jesus, they send messengers to Jesus. Lazarus is, is at the point of death. Jesus says, I'm going to go, and he delays. He waits. And then he shows up after Lazarus has already died. And what does Martha say to him? Jesus, if you had been here, my brother had not died. You say, okay, well, that's them. Yeah, what about us? How many times have you had a crisis of faith because you didn't think God showed up fast enough? There was a a particular circumstance, a particular condition in which you had a significant need, and then the need simply seems to to the worst happens and you say, God, you didn't show up, where were you? How come you delayed? How come you waited? Now, now we know what Jairus was feeling. Jesus, did you really have to heal her? Did you really have to stop? My daughter is dead. Listen to this crisis of faith. It wasn't just delay, but notice what it would have been saying to Jairus about Jesus. Wouldn't you have been asking the question, Jesus, do you really care? Did you really care about my daughter in the first place? Did you really care about me? You stopped. You shouldn't have. Listen to what they say in verse in to what these people say from the ruler of the synagogue's house in verse 35, "Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further?" What were they saying? Stop bugging him. Have you ever stopped and wondered whether you're bugging Jesus? He probably doesn't care about this. He didn't show up soon enough. Why should I keep on praying? Why should I keep on asking? I'm just bugging him. And that's what these rulers said. From, from his house, they came and said, just don't trouble him anymore. She's dead. Crisis, a crisis of faith. And listen to what Jesus says. As soon as Jesus had heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, be not afraid, only believe. He undoubtedly, it's said here as soon as he heard that word. It was like Jesus heard it and immediately turned to him and looked at him and he says, don't be afraid. It's as if he saw the fear rising up in Jairus' face. He knew what he was experiencing. Don't stop. Stop fearing. Only believe. Believe what? Believe what? Believe that I have power to heal your daughter just like you did before. Believe that I care about you and your daughter just like I did before I was interrupted. Believe that I am in control of this situation even when everything seems out of control. Why do you fear? Why do I fear? You know, it's said that there are only two fears that we are born with. The fear of falling and the fear of, the fear of falling and the fear of, what is it? I'm forgetting now. Of loud noises. The fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. And every other fear we have is learned we learn to fear. Why do we learn to fear? We learn to fear what we cannot control. Now let that sink in for just a minute. We fear what we cannot control. You do not fear an animal that cannot hurt you. People do not naturally fear something that we know we have utter control over. What do we fear? We fear an animal that has control over us. We do not fear conditions, bodily conditions, that have Utterly no control over us. We fear those that even if they're treated with medicine they may still kill us. Those are the ones we fear. We fear what we do not have power over and that's why fear is such a destabilizing force for us because we are confronted day after day with a variety of circumstances that we cannot control. We do not have enough power over. And the more we allow our mind to reflect on all the things we don't have control over, everything we're powerless in the face of, am I going to get a diagnosis that I can't control? Am I going to get sacked from my job? Is the economy going to tank? Is this bad thing going to happen to me? As we just reflect on that over and over, fear just spirals out of control and takes possession of our thinking. Now, notice what Jesus says. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Do not be afraid. Only believe. Now, why is he saying that? Because fear and faith are not compatible. When you are fearing what you cannot control, you cannot trust the one who has all control. You see that? When you are fearing what you can't control, you cannot be trusting the one who has all control. And this is why Jesus is pitting these two things together. Don't fear. Instead, only believe. Only yield to faith. What is faith? Faith is recognizing who God is to you and trusting it. Faith is seeing Jesus for who he is. And faith is trusting Jesus for who he is. Do you see that? What Jesus was saying to this man was, do not look at these circumstances that are a crisis for your faith right now. Do not look at the delay. Do not look at the death. Do not look at your doubts about my care for you. Instead, only look at who I am and the control that I still possess Over this situation. And friends, do you know what a wonderful, wonderful relief and comfort this would be for some of us who deal with fear? Stop looking at the circumstances, stop looking at the things you can't control and worrying about them start looking at the one who has all control over them and who has an unlimited amount of compassion and care for where you are right now. And the more you only believe, you look at the one who has control, the more you'll be able to release the fear of the circumstances that you cannot control. Don't be afraid. Only believe now notice what happens here in this crisis of faith look at verse 37 and he suffered no man he allowed no man to follow him save or accept for Peter and James and John the brother of James so he limits now to three people who are going with him and he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and seeth the tumult and them that wept and wailed greatly now pause here them that wept and wailed greatly. What's going on? It was very common in Jewish society. Again, our funerals tend to be very quiet, buttoned up, staid affairs, at least in some of our cultures, not not in all of them. But in Jewish culture, that wasn't the case. In Jewish culture, they hired mourners to come and weep and wail. They paid them. Now I kid you not, this is you, you could look in actually the Mishnah, it's called is a is a Jewish source that is about 200 years after the time of Jesus, but is based on rabbinic tradition and teaching that helps you understand what it was like at Jesus' time. Do you know what they said? The poorest man, the poorest man, if his wife died, was expected to, at a minimum, hire two flute players and one professional mourner, a woman, to come and weep and wail. And friends, this is, again, this might sound crazy to our ears, but it's true. These flute players would be playing not not like little Bach or something like that, very nice and gentle and tender. They would actually be playing these cacophonous, kind of dissonant sounds like, something bad has happened here. You can just imagine this kind of noise. And then these, these women, these professional mourners, would literally be just wailing, but not like actual legitimate grief. It would be just this show, this is so horrible what has happened. Now again, that sounds strange, but it's true. And this is the scene that Jesus would have confronted. This was a very important official. So they would have had all of these professional mourners who had already shown up. And Jesus gets there to this wild, loud, cacophonous scene, everyone making all this noise, mourning and weeping. They wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado? Why are you having all this noise? The damsel, the little girl, is not dead, but sleepeth. And listen to their response. And they laughed him to scorn. They mocked him. These professional mourners and the other people around looked at him and said, you're crazy. Why? Because they knew she was dead. She was actually dead. So you say, what was Jesus saying when he says, she's not dead, she's sleeping? Well, there's one thing he was saying. Sleep is temporary, not permanent. Sleep implies that you will awake soon. And Jesus was saying, not just to the people that were around, he was saying to Jairus, this is temporary, not permanent. She will wake up and I am in control. So all these people are mocking him. What would that have done to Jairus? What would that have done to the father hearing these words of Jesus saying, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. Would he have been scratching his head? Would he have been puzzled? What would your reaction have been? We see the condition. We see the crisis of his faith. And then finally, we see the control that Jesus exercised. Will you look with me next at verse number 40 again? after they have laughed him to scorn but when he had put them all out he kicked everyone out you say why friends do you expect that those who mock Jesus and belittle him will have the opportunity to receive of him Jesus is saying a judgment on them okay if that's the way you're going to be if that's going to be your reaction to my true statement of this girl's condition out only the three disciples and only this girl's parents. He taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him and entereth in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha cumai, which is being interpreted, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. You say, what is Talitha cumai? These are actual words in Aramaic. Aramaic was the general dialect that Jesus spoke. Do you remember when he was on the cross? He said, Lama, 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 Eli, Eli, Lama, Sabachthani. That was Aramaic. That was what Jesus, the common dialect that he used. And it's just wonderful here that Mark actually gives us the exact words in the exact dialect that Jesus spoke. It's like we're coming in to an eyewitness scene. And I just want you to picture this, a 12-year-old lying, lifeless, pale, Cold. Now, again, I I don't think we can fully come in to the horror of that scene. I have been at the many, many hospital beds where someone has died. I have seen many pass. It is always sad. It is always tragic. It is always deeply affecting for me. But I can say, maybe the saddest I have ever been, the saddest I have ever been in the sobriety of this was when i went to the hospital some of you remember mrs delaney's granddaughter who died of an asthma attack several years ago i think she was about 7 or 8 years old and coming into that room with a lifeless little girl and everyone around in the hospital just you can just imagine the sadness i mean it was just like a hundred pound weight on all of us. And I'm just putting myself in that same situation that I was in and seeing Jesus come into this room and the tenderness as he goes up to this lifeless body and he takes her hand and listen to what he says. Talitha, cue me. What does that mean? Talitha has the idea of someone little and it actually has the idea of a lamb. It's like he's saying to her, little lamb, little lamb. What comfort. Little lamb and then cue me is just this, get up, get up. He says, little girl, get up. Friends, that's the Jesus that's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is how tender he is. That is how kind he is to come into this tragedy and take her by the hand. Little girl, get up, awake, arise. And immediately the heart starts beating again. And immediately the brain waves start functioning again. And immediately you can just see the pink be restored into her skin. And then she arose. Immediately the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of 12 years. And they were astonished with a great astonishment. And he charged them straightly, strictly, that no man should know it and commanded that something should be given her to eat. Just very quickly, why did he say, don't tell? It's not like he could hide this. Everyone knew that she was dead. The moment she walked out of that room, they would have known that something happened. It's not like Jesus was saying, no one can know that this girl has been risen. But for whatever reason, Jesus was telling them, only the people who were here can truly know what happened. He was saying to them, this is not to be spread. All the details are not to be spread around. You're not to go to run to the Capernaum Star Tribune and tell them everything. That's not going to happen. And notice then his care for her, he says, and he commanded that something should be given her to eat. This miraculous power is, is brought forward by this practical care. Give her something to eat. She's weak. She's no doubt needs strength. To carry on, I tell you, this is just such an affecting story for me. Maybe it's being the father of little girls. Maybe it's just the comfort and the care that Jesus has for this man. The story of his desperate condition, the crisis of his faith in delay and doubt, and the control that Jesus exercises so tenderly, so, so compassionately to bring this little girl to life. And that's where I want to double back to what we've said the thread of all of this has been. What is the thread that cuts through the whole story? Is it faith? Yes, it's the faith that was desperate at the beginning. It was faith that was tempted to be doubting in the second act. And it was faith that ultimately was fully developed and brought forth in seeing his daughter alive but we're going to miss something unless we see Jesus' role in this whole story. The beauty of this story is that Jesus has been bringing along this man's faith, caring for this man's faith from the very beginning of the passage. Jesus is caring for this man's faith when this man comes and falls down before him and Jesus goes with him and starts walking. Jesus is is caring for this man's faith when he delays and heals a woman. You say, how can he be caring for his faith then? Well, a couple things. You do this with your children, I expect. You know, sometimes what I say to my children when I want to challenge them to take a step, I'll say, you can do it. I'm right here. We'll go down on vacation and there will be the crashing waves of the ocean and I'll say, don't be afraid. We'll run in together. I'll hold your hand. And they say, no, I'm scared. And And I'll say, do you think daddy will drop you? No. Let's go. And we run in together and they end up having fun. In other words, Jesus cares for faith by drawing it out, by comforting us, by saying you can do it. But sometimes Jesus cares for faith by testing it. 1 Peter talks about our faith being tested like gold in a fire. And the heat is applied to it. And what is is extraneous, what is bad for it, the dross on that gold is burned off. He tests us like we might test our child. Have you ever done this for your child? When your child's about to do something or they're wondering about doing something, you say to them, I bet you can't. I bet you can't. And what does your boy say? Oh, yeah, Dad, I can do that. And he does it. Were you saying I bet you can't to try to get him not to do it? Were you trying to test his faith to ensure that he wouldn't do it? No, you were putting a hurdle. You were putting a test in front of them so that he'd jump over it and he'd say, okay, I can do it. And in the same way, just as sometimes Jesus cares for your faith by being very tender and gentle with you to say, I'm right here, let's walk through this together. Sometimes Jesus strengthens your faith and tests your faith by saying, now I'm going to put a hurdle And I'm not doing it so you trip. I'm doing it so that you clear it and that you realize that I am strong enough in this circumstance too. You see, there's a couple details I think here that is another example of Jesus' tender care even during this man's crisis of faith. These may be small details. They may be a coincidence, but I don't believe in a God that works in coincidences. How old was Jairus' daughter? How old was she? Twelve. How many years had the woman who had that, that issue of blood, how many years had she had that for? Do you think that was an accident? Do you think it was just one of these coincidences? Or do you think Jairus would have been encouraged by the fact that this woman who had 12 years of disease and suffering and challenge, had the same 12-year, if you will, life cycle as his daughter. There's one more thing. Do you remember what Jesus said in verse 34 to the woman who he healed from this issue of blood? What did he call her? Look at it, verse 34. What did Jesus call her? Do you know this is the only example in all the Gospels when Jesus refers to an individual as daughter? The only one, daughter, daughter, be of good comfort. Your faith has saved you, has made you better. Do you think that was a coincidence? That Jesus, knowing that there's a father who is grieving, who is anxious, who is impatient because his daughter is lying at home dead, Jesus looks to a woman who's been having this condition for 12 years, heals her with the the control of his mighty hand, and says, daughter, I don't think it's an accident. I think Jesus was encouraging this man's faith that even though he was delayed, that even though the circumstances had created a crisis, Jesus was still in control, and that Jesus still cared And that faith was cared for all the way as Jesus walked to this man's house, as he put out everyone who was mocking and scorning and laughing, as he took that little girl's hand, that lifeless hand, and said, little girl, get up. And then as that man reacted in astonishment and wonder that his daughter had been restored perfectly to life. And I'll just make this simple point today. Jesus cares for your faith. He cares for your faith because that's the only way that you can live in right relationship with him. Everything other than faith is a lie. The lie that we tell ourselves when we reject Jesus Christ is that I can do it myself. I'm in control. I'm self-sufficient. I have the power. And Jesus says, no, you don't. That's the only truth. Without me, He says, you can do how much? Nothing. The only way we can live in right relationship to him is when we come desperately, humbly falling before him and saying, I can do nothing without you. That is the essence of faith. It's the faith that saves when we say, I can't forgive myself. I can't get rid of this sin. Only you can, and we, and we accept, we trust what he has done for us. And it is that same faith that continues on in our life. And friend, Jesus is caring for your faith, both by comforting and encouraging it and by sometimes challenging and testing it so that you will continue taking the steps and the growth of faith that God wants you to take in your life. Would we just hear these words today as Jesus' words to us? Don't be afraid. Only, only, believe. Friend, what crisis are you facing today? What circumstances are causing you to doubt? What waves are crashing about the boat of your life that are leading you to doubt the one who is in control of all of them? Do not be afraid. Only believe. But there's one more thing that we need to say before we close. The glory of this Story, the beauty of it, is that it says something profound about us. Because Jesus said of this girl, she's not dead, she's sleeping. And throughout our New Testament, we this same metaphor of sleep for death is used. The truth of it is, friends, if you're in Jesus Christ, your death one day will only be sleep. Jesus says of you when you die, and he says the same thing of those whom you have loved and have died already. He's not dead. He's just asleep. He's just asleep. She is just asleep. Listen to these words that Jesus says. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. All that are in the graves shall hear his voice. What is the great hope of our faith? What faith is Jesus drawing you toward even today? He is drawing you toward this, that the moment you die, it will only be sleep when you are in him and not only that one day he will come to you as tenderly and gently as he came to this little girl and he will say little girl wake up get up little boy get up and one day you will be resurrected to eternal life with him. Do not be afraid of death. Do not be afraid for those who have died in Jesus. Only believe, only believe that the one who has all control will one day wake you up. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you. Do not be afraid. Only believe. And as we speak to this room here and to others who are viewing online, we cannot possibly catalog the fears and the crises that those who are listening are experiencing today. And yet we know, we know, Your desire, your care is for our faith. All the way my Savior leads me. What have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy? Who through life has been my guide? And oh, at that point of death, one day eternally, we will sing this my song through endless ages. Jesus led me all the way. Oh, I pray that faith would be strengthened here this morning. I pray that Jesus would be exalted today, his compassion, his care, his control, his authority. I pray for even one here today who has never accepted, trusted, in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. May today be the day that they cast themselves in trust and in faith on what he has done for them and for who he is to them. May they be saved.